0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of After This, the greatest and most important unification podcast on the entire internet. My name is Daniel.
1: My name is Carla.
0: And I'm Shannon. And this week we're taking on essentially a kind of, I don't know, conclusion is a really strong word, uh, but it's kind, <laughs> of a, it's kind of a conclusion to the two topics we just covered previously, uh, which has sort of been going through a history of um, uh, segregation and minority inequality and things like that in different countries, but mainly the US, and sort of seeing, I don't know, what the solutions might be, like like things that we're talking about that are happening right now, things we might be able to remedy, mm. um, sort of trying to Progress. articulate the... Articulate the problem to some extent so we can yeah. maybe deal with it.
1: What, what baby steps can we take in this yeah, ridiculously like, large problem? <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> you've got you've, it, It's such a massive issue, obviously, but the thing is we can start to look at it and try to break it down and sort of get an understanding of the factors involved and uh, what we might be able to do about it. Hmm. So um, I wrote a bunch of stuff, which I'll just go through, um, and uh, we'll just sort of peel out from there into everything else. Um, So I sort of wrote it down to try and understand what the core issue is and the relationship that you sort of have between poverty and inequality and um, bias, basically. So um, because obviously when you have such endemic poverty, you kind of create a class of individual that you know has to either, is either more criminal, or they're more disaffected, or they're less aff- affiliated with the rest of the society, and you create a bias that's sort of there, but it's then perpetuated by media, and you've got this ingrained problem. After a while, basically you know people are. Uh, biased against the people, th- th- this minority themselves, um, as well as there being an actual physical issue. So even when you're trying to alleviate the problem, people are still biased. Mm. Um, and so the two things sort of reinforce each other. But I'll just, re- I'll just um, read what I wrote down, because um, I probably wrote it better than I can say it. <laughs> uh, which is basically, it's a chain of items, as I think one thing leads on to the next in this instance. As I take the example that the primary instigator of crime and detachment is disaffection and poverty, which is a lack of connection to society and a lack of the means to survive within it. Because basically, it's not just about being poor. It's also about being alienated from the society that you're in. Because those two things often go together, but don't always go together. Um, Because what you do have is you have societies sometimes where they're really... um, I don't know what you might call it. Uh, like the older, the older thing that they had where there was this sort of a place for poor people still in some societies, and maybe you don't really see it as much anymore, but like that relationship that you maybe used to have between poor people and like churches and community organizations and the rest of society where there was kind of a way for people to navigate it to some extent. Um, and people were seen as, you know... Uh, not inferior, but maybe unlucky, um, you know, the thing is the, the two things aren't necessarily countering mm-hmm. one another, but they often are together. Yeah. Um. So yeah. I also, sorry, that's where I went into it. Cause I found this survey that was done by, or not a survey, it's this massive report that was done by this um, commission in Britain, um, mm-hmm. which obviously is quite different to the U S but I'll go through it anyway. Um, so I also want to detach this phenomenon from just a criminal behaviour, as it's an oversimplification. A new report I found, which is Is Britain Fairer? The Equality and Human Rights Commission 2018, uh, showed that there hasn't... So, sorry, there wasn't a direct and simple correlation between poverty and crime. Poverty alone isn't enough to foment criminality, though it does significantly incentivize it. Mm. What it showed was that and increasingly common in the modern era was that people will simply become NEATs. I'm not sure if you've heard of the term, but it's really famous on, like, um, you know, the recesses of the internet, because that's yeah, where I most of them live before. now. Uh, NEAT is basically no education, employment, or training. Mm. Um, and the other thing is that and obviously, in this case, a neat in the US is very different to a neat in, in Europe, usually. Mm-hmm. So um, what you'll find is usually these people work on Reddit and 4chan and things like that. Mm. So
2: is this what people have been saying to me all these years when they've been referring to me as being neat? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, Shannon, you're
2: not super organised.
1: No. <laughs> and the, the fact that, like you're saying, that this is you know, in Britain and it's a bit different to, to the US is is really interesting having this English-speaking world where we're, you know, Australia and Britain and the US and Canada and New Zealand, whatever, all these Mm. colonies of Britain, um, the – and I think probably now in the modern age with more internet and more information transfer, it's even stronger, is that even though we're separate places and we've got our separate political structures, the culture – Uh, Exchange is so very strong because we speak Mm. the same language and we watch so many American TV shows and movies and everything that, like, the you know the the racism and the prejudice that's um, so strong in the US does get imported.
0: Oh, absolutely. As
1: well, so like obviously in Australia we've got our own issues with our um, indigenous population that the um, British colonisers came in and pretty well wiped out. Um, But then in recent years is when we started getting um, more African immigrants, um, the Herald Sun immediately starts talking mm. about, you know, these, oh, it's, it's these African gangs that are terrorising yeah, yeah. people. And, and it's yeah. like, that's, that's just an import of US yeah. racism. Oh,
0: of course. Uh, no, I, I think that the attitudes absolutely follow mm. wherever it goes. It's the big difference that you have, and this is sort of what I was getting into a bit later, um, is that, Britain and European institutions and Australian institutions have a much more robust public sector. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, the big thing and the big endemic problem, and this is where I said, so the other thing is, this is Britain where public institutions make poverty mean something entirely different to what it means in the US, Mm -hmm. because obviously this report was about Britain and people becoming um, NEATs and things like that. whereas. In, in the US, the problem that they have is that being poor means you can't get health care. Mm. Being poor means you can't get an education. Mm. Being poor means, like, you basically can't access the rest of the world kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas you in don't Britain, have... The you not have family
1: connections to get yeah, internships. No, no. And even exactly. if you do, you don't have the ability to work for free for years. Oh, yeah. Like and, years, but months.
0: And in Britain, they have things like the NHS, so they have the free public health care system um they have university is massively assisted and subsidized so the thing is it's really easy to go to uni in the uk um like kind of like it is here similar to Uh, here yeah yeah where basically you just you're able to put it on a a loan that you don't actually have to pay off until you make enough money um so the system is much more accommodating so the Mm. thing is if you're really poor it's not it's not the death sentence that it is in the US, and I think in the US that's why it's such a unique problem, where being super poor, but also all the institutions are not designed to help anyone come out of poverty. Mm. Um, so and, it sort of stays that way.
1: And if I was listening to uh, I've listened to a couple of podcasts and watched a. Um, John Oliver last week tonight has done a really good episode recently about the police, and they talk about the defunding the police Mm. movement, which um, is pretty easy to – if you only read those three words, it's pretty easy to say, well, that's ridiculous. We can't really have society without police at all. But it's talking more about putting the investment into these community services instead. So investing in mental health, investing in um, affordable housing so that the police don't have to, you know – be spending their time dealing with people with mental issues because they're treated medically, you know?
0: (laughs) I think it almost comes down to the US phobia of state services. Like law enforcement doesn't come under that umbrella somehow so they just increasingly chuck everything at um sheriff and law officers. Mm-hmm. whereas you know you might just want to have a more robust housing commission or something like that like but they just don't like the topic because it sounds Ooh. like socialism and they all freak <laughs> out <laughs> yeah
2: now, the main problem though with like the social housing is then they end up just Swamping a whole bunch of people together. You gotta
0: ghettoise an area yeah, yeah. or something because like, you know, it's the same problem that they've had by throwing all them you know, all the minorities that weren't allowed to get jobs put all in one suburb. You know, yeah. it's it's sort of like in, inevitably you're gonna turn that one suburb into a bit of a hole and housing prices <laughs> are gonna be terrible. Like, it's you put yep. any group into an area where they can't afford to do anything, hmm. and you've got to turn that area into something that no one can escape because, like, we were saying last time, you can't buy any other houses because yeah. no one
2: wants to buy yours. Yeah. <clears throat> That's why there needs to be some sort of like culture or activity hub that is centralized around the area as well. So, mm. there actually is a lifestyle <laughs> that yeah, people yeah. can maintain because, you know. The it's I- not just survival. What do they say? The idle mind is the devil's playground. So- yeah, yeah <laughs> you got a whole bunch of idle people to get that.
0: No, absolutely. And so, like, I wanted to, I wanted to really make a point of this thing with NEATS, because they talk about it in the report. Is the thing that if you have, um, you know, if you have people that kind of have support, or maybe people are just completely disaffected, they might not actually turn to crime. So, like, the thing is, you might have a lot of people that aren't necessarily becoming criminals, um, but they're completely detached from society and they're just recluses because mm. they feel alienated and they have no opportunities. So they're and, just depressed and they're hiding in a basement somewhere.
1: Yeah, and justifiably <laughs> angry.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and so, when we when we try to correlate purely uh, criminal statistics, it gets messy because we're not covering this huge wealth of individuals uh, that are just becoming these things called NEATs, which is actually becoming increasingly common uh, as people don't really see that they have opportunities or things are too hard or whatever it is and they just recluse instead of becoming criminals. It's kind of like the two ways you can go. You're really disaffected and you have no money, you can either hide... And rely on some minimal income stream, which might be government based quite often, which is, I think, what um, Britain's neat thing is, which is why it doesn't turn necessarily into criminality. Whereas in the US, oh, yeah. those people hide and become criminals because they can't
2: get money. Yeah, <laughs> um, Yeah. It's, it's an interesting correlation. It's just like why people complain about, um, you know, uh, dole payments in Australia. You're like, well... <laughs> let's take the money away from them and see what happens and you'll have the US
0: version instead yeah. <laughs> because it's like it's not like these people are doing this because they have, they want to it's just that they don't feel like they have a choice and either you don't have a choice with income or you don't have a choice with none and you have to steal things um, which which brings me back to the UBI stuff later but uh, we'll get there eventually um, so the next thing they're saying what we're seeing is a combined effect of poverty and societal disaffection from these people as they're being prejudiced against. To, to link it again to Muslim radicalization, which was at its height while ISIS held Raqqa and Mosul, being distanced and alienated from the society you're meant to be involved in seems a much more likely guarantee that you'll criminalise, that is, turn to illegal and antisocial behaviours as a norm, because you've got no stake in the existing system. If anything, you just harbour resentment of it and will be happy to see it damaged. Mm. Um, yeah.
1: I'd like to. So this is again something that I got from the John Oliver episode. Um, but there's a woman called Kimberly Jones. Carla uh, gets
0: all of her information from the John Oliver show. Just pretty sort of much. Acceptance. I mean, She actually doesn't <laughs> exist outside of the yeah, show.
1: <laughs> it's a very good show. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, um, a woman named Kimberly Jones. And if you just look her up on YouTube, you'll see uh, a lot of hits for the the speech that that um, John Oliver played. Uh, and it's just, it's so incredible. Incredibly, she's so eloquent and so angry and really kind of justifiably and really kind of explaining in a, a really clear and extremely engaging way mm. why there's this disconnect. Um, so I'd highly recommend everyone go and look that up on YouTube. Kimberly mm. Jones.
3: How can you win? How can you win? You can't win. The game is fixed. So when they say, why do you burn down the community? Why do you burn down your own neighborhood? It's not ours. We don't own anything. We don't own anything. There is, Trevor Noah said it so beautifully last night. There's a social contract that we all have that if you steal or if I steal, then the person who is the authority comes in and they fix the situation. But the person who fixes the situation is killing us. So the social contract is broken. And if the social contract is broken, why the fuck do I give a shit about burning the fucking football hall of fame, about burning a fucking target? You broke the contract when you killed us in the streets and didn't give a fuck. You broke the contract when for 400 years we played your game and built your wealth. You broke the contract when we built our wealth again on our own by our bootstraps in Tulsa and you dropped bombs on us when we built it in rosewood and you came in and you slaughtered us you broke the contract so fuck your target fuck your hall of fame far as i'm concerned they could burn this bitch to the ground and it still wouldn't be enough and they are lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and not revenge uh. okay no
0: i'll go over look because i mean I don't know what she actually speaks about, but yeah, basically the, you have the endemic problem that, you know, you kind of need to have both of these things at the same time. And honestly, often they do go together,
3: mm. which is
0: basically where someone is disillusioned with society because it's like treating them as inferior, it's not giving the opportunities and they're stuck in poverty. Now, usually those two things are together, not always, but usually. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when you kind of have those two things together, you have people who just feel like, what's the point? Why, why would I honor this society with effort and respect Mm -hmm. when I'm being put in this position and have no way of getting out? And then, and the people
1: who are supposed to be protecting them, are reasonably likely to just kill them you know yeah, <laughs> like, and i
0: think i think that's the societal disaffection right that, yeah. that's when like you feel like you're being told this is the service that's meant to help you with this mm. but then it actually just
1: it's
2: causes you harm
1: completely working against you
2: and it's just like a lack of um recognition of the importance that culture plays on their life mm. and a lot of the <sighs> support in that these days just doesn't recognize that culture Mm. and uh yeah because it, because it's not being provided they just don't have like that sustained connection to life their world their understanding yeah. and belief when yeah. you take that away from someone you end up with like an, an empty husk so yeah just, exactly like,
0: and i think i think that's what often and again that's the european thing that creates the needs it's like it's just like you don't care you don't associate with anything you find them on internet message boards a lot people saying like that they're needs and things like that it's just Obviously, mm. they just live online because it's the only place that they have any real existence. Um, and then offline um, is obviously the real world where people are making money and getting jobs and stuff like that. But like, <clears throat> you can't get into any of that or you mm. can't afford healthcare and you have health issues or something. Maybe you just you recluse and recluse. Mm. And this is the price of – honestly, I, I, to link it to it, this is the price of free market economies. Like where you have no controls is that people that – don't really see a way out. Are just going to detach from it? They're going to not involve themselves with it because it just doesn't seem fair.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that, like, the, talking like that is is a little bit putting the onus on the people who are being repressed by the system. It's the system is mm. what's rejecting them, not the other way around. Yes. Yeah. Or like
0: oh, no, that, that's it's, what it's comes sort of, first. I, it's sort of the way that people. Yeah, exactly, I mean mm. it's just sort of the way that people see it from. Um, from the perspective of the society that basically they've said no to it and we're like, oh, surprise. But the thing is, you know, <laughs> it's about saying what has happened up to this point that is causing them to say no. So, yeah. yes, you're right. But it's it's more this is how the rest of society sees it because they're yeah. surprised and they didn't see it coming. That <laughs> um, yeah, these people just break um, under yeah. the pressure. And obviously that it's was a like, big thing.
1: You are terrible and you are bad. And why are you rejecting it?
0: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and that's a big part of what actually drove the radicalization of Islam for a while while they were getting Western kids to do things, um, which was basically they'd find the kids who had just been alienated and picked on and were stuck in a poverty cycle and everything else, just like these people, and poke them and poke them until they start doing something and getting angry enough to do something because someone said that they cared about them. Mm. Um Uh, so the question, okay, so the question then becomes, so how do we integrate people into a whole so they don't feel alienated from one another? While we obviously, well, we can obviously make sure the rules and regulations are dealing with people equally, how do we socially integrate everyone together to be on a more equal footing? This is where we come full circle back to poverty, as it seems clear that without equal income and wealth opportunities, it's very hard to enjoy the same activities, buy the same houses and do the same things. Without that common experience, it's difficult to make any group feel a sense of commonality. Mm. And this is sort of, this this is something I was just hammering on in my in when I was thinking about when I was reading this. Is just that if you don't have money and the rest of the society kind of does, they're mm-hmm. all going to do certain hobbies, certain things, certain interests, certain stuff, and you're not going to be able to do any of it. You're just going to inherently feel left out of society itself because you just don't have the money to buy the things that everyone keeps saying are important and fun.
1: Mm. I think culture plays a huge part as well. And I guess that's kind Mm -hmm. of linked to poverty, but it's the way that... uh, What am I trying to say here? The media and arts needs to be more inclusive as well and less um, separated... Mm-hmm. I suppose, I'm trying to work out what I'm trying to say. And Basically, that's, that's, we need people that- to li- people need to listen to each other. That's what that's what we, as especially as whiteys, need to be yeah. doing, is listening to the people who this actually affects and getting mm. these first-hand accounts and paying attention.
0: And that's the thing is that, and that's sort of the point that, that poverty is linking into is it's feeding this bias that mm. people, we're not doing the same things, we're not shown in the same places, you know, like there's not that level of like, I don't know, common society between us um, because we haven't allowed it to be there yet. But the poverty is reinforcing the bias so we keep avoiding mm-hmm. it. And so it's more like, okay, maybe if we solve the poverty problem, but then you need to solve the bias as well to solve the poverty problem.
2: Because well, like in Australia, um, I was um, listening to this um, TED Talk uh, by Kia, Kia Dow.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And she's... Um, half Indigenous, half, like, Scottish English. Mm-hmm. And she's proud of um, proud of both of her um, ancestry lines. Mm. And I got some really, like, good information from, like, her about how in Australia, I think this was back in, like, 2007 that she was getting the statistics from, about how there's, like, $5.4 billion that goes towards, um, I guess, reconciliation and, like, trying to level the playing field out. Mm. But some of like, the major problems is just like it's just a major like waste of like funding like one of the examples she gives is there was um an organization that was um out to help in the indigenous um people get um home loans and stuff mm-hmm. to get get them housing um i don't know what the time period was but i'll just say over a year they managed to get uh 75 people home loans mm. but there was also 75 people employed to give those 75 home loans. Right, okay. And so it's yeah. just like a massive like, waste of resources, it's like 75 yeah. people and annual wage. It's just like, yeah. well, right. if you got... If you got five people to do it, you could have literally bought five homes yep. for people with, like, the money you would have saved from that. So is yeah. it really the most efficient thing? Yeah. I mean, it's the same right. it's the
0: same problem that people um, that, uh, that I've seen with, like, a lot of, not all of them, obviously, but a lot of charity organizations that have horrendous overheads, where, like, the, the, the pass-through of money to administration costs to end result is pretty suboptimal.
2: Uh, <laughs> but, and what was that? That's from um, through... Um, organizations, was it through donations? You were saying. Yeah. So I remember so one is, of the. This is directly from the government. So yeah. You know? no, but it's the same
0: sort of thing where I think the government yeah. throws money at a group of organizations that have a an affiliation or an accreditation, saying we're going to do the job. Um, but then the money gets there, and then they're just really badly organized. Yeah. They're more there because
2: it's a market, essentially yeah. doing that sort of work. That and <clears throat> and also which he covers in. Um, and that is that the the way it's structured at the moment is that they have these plans and they spend all these times like developing everything and setting out their outcomes and their measures and all their statistics stuff that they obviously have to prove to get the grants. And then by the time they actually go there and implement everything, mm. um, they're so disconnected from the actual place or the area that they're trying to integrate mm. that... They're like um, that. The indigenous people are just like, nah, like we don't want a bar of it, and it becomes mm. like a failed a, a failed mission. Mm. But they're able to report back and say the people are the problem.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. It's and just then, a, it's a big, complicated bureaucracy, basically. That's sort of like it's there to do one particular thing, but it sort of lives in the city. Is yeah. always the feel I get, like that it lives in, this, it's in Sydney or Melbourne or something, and the thing is they're doing the work for these people out in some remote community, and they might go see them once. Yeah. You go, know, oh, okay, yeah, we're getting you this thing, and it's just like it's so detached from what yeah. maybe they
2: want. <laughs> it's like that classic thing in the in the trade field where you have a tradie that's been around for 10, 15 years, and you get this like young kid fresh out of uni comes out, oh, mate, oh, I need you to build it this way. It's like, mate, I've been building for 15 years. I'm not building it like that. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, that but, might be what you learn the learnt in the classroom, mate, but it's not what goes on around here.
0: Yeah, I mean as a, as an interesting example for I think I've talked about this before, but I remember reading about it. There was the American Red Cross. They got something like I don't know, it was like a hundred or some hundreds of hundred. no. It was like a hundred million dollars of donations or something to help in Haiti um to build mm-hmm. build, build new houses after the hurricane came through. Mm-hmm. And I think they ended up building ten houses. <laughs> like uh. there was always bureaucratic issues that they had. They built 10 houses and then they left and mm. they, and that was with a hundred and something million dollars. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's what I mean. Like, the right,
1: thing, that does sound a bit.
0: yeah, it was, it was in one of the books. And the problem is that they had all these issues where they were contracting and buying permits and all this stuff. And they just built like 10 houses and left. And so the thing is um, what you have is a system where, It doesn't always go through efficiently. And then obviously that's sort of what's happening in this instance where indigenous housing and all that sort of stuff is being handled by something that's grossly inefficient. Because I think in a lot of cases, people might open organizations or institutions because they know there's so much money there. Like the government is going to spend X amount of money on this sort of thing. So position yourself to be the guy doing the job. You'll get that huge government contract, but maybe you're not the best person. (laughs) um yeah i don't know it's something that needs a lot more analysis and it's something we don't really think about um closely it's like once we throw the money at it we say we're done Mm. sort of thing
1: and it does it does take more analysis too because you can't you can't just look at how much of each donated dollar gets to where it's going because things like if you spend you know half of the dollar on marketing and that gets you another two dollars Mm. Then that's not a waste of money. But yeah, it does come down to how it's being run and yeah. Um, yeah. Like obviously, obviously, obviously we all know that like they bad.
0: they have to basically run themselves like businesses because they need to make more money to fundraise to do more activities. Uh-huh. Um, means there's less emphasis on profit, but there is a, there's emphasis on revenue because they need to use the revenue to do things with it and revenue yeah. for is fundraising. So and then you're
1: looking at like s- staffing, like if you're trying to be staffed with volunteers to keep the overheads low, they are, you know, working a couple of hours a week. This is a yep. lot of people are not really working together because it's no one's top priority. Whereas hmm. if you go and you get someone who really knows how to run these things and get them going and it, you yeah. pay them two hundred grand uh, a year. I mean, and like, well, that sounds really bad, but are they, you know, well, worth it? Maybe. But
0: yeah, I and I think that's the thing is, like, you have to you have to kind of acknowledge the inherent weaknesses of a charity structure because mm. it has all these things it has to work with. Um, so, in the instance that you're doing something like a big project, like trying to secure, like in this instance, home loans, or you're trying to build houses in some other place, maybe the best thing isn't to go through a charity. You know, or get the or pay the charity but have it on the condition that they pay people that will actually do like a proper project, you know, with full time and everything else. Like it's, I think, I think there's a messy thing going on there where obviously yes, charities have challenges, but then they don't, I think maybe do the smartest thing with the money um, to get other people maybe to do the work. But then maybe when they do that, they have to pay huge amounts of um, fees. And then they don't get anything done anyway. So the whole thing is... And this is why I'm a world federalist.
1: Yeah. <laughs> dealing
0: with other jurisdictions and other countries and getting things paid for over there through charity dollars is so inefficient
2: when we yeah. can just organise it ourselves. I, I'm going I'm to use this as like anecdotal evidence to say absolute power corrupts absolutely because it's almost like the charity organisation is there because they don't trust the other place to do with the money what yeah. they're supposed to do or mm. want to do. Hey, let, let's give you money to build all these things. But like, that sounds yeah. like the logical thing to do, but why is there a charity organization? Obviously, because yeah. they're like, oh, we must do it ourselves. Uh, yeah. yeah. yeah this,
1: <laughs> this whole episode is about how the, the system is failing a huge group of people. So. Yeah.
2: And that's and
0: that's the whole point, right? Is the Making fact of that. Making the whole like, thing on system. Like, like, if you had, you wouldn't have to deal with the gross inefficiencies of, charity, mm. like internationalism, because they have huge challenges getting anything done in another country. It's like all the famous things that happened with develop the development funds for um, Iraq when um, America was putting all the reconstruction funds in. And it was something like 20% of it or something actually got into Iraq to do something because all, mm-hmm. all the rest got taken out because it had to make its way through all these different contracting organizations that had all these international things and all these different things in play and it got really complicated. And then when the money finally got there, 80% of it had gone because of fees. Um, and so the thing is, if you just had one system, you just moved the funds there. It's mm-hmm. all one economy, right? <laughs> it's just ah uh, the gross inefficiencies that we deal with every day. And this is just like every time any major global issue comes up that we haven't been able to solve yet, I can always look at like a, a unified structure and see how it would be so much easier to fix. And it's oh, it's so horrible reading about the complexities of international charity and how much has to like, how much goes wrong. Like people fundraise for these concepts and these ideas, and they're like, we're gonna solve this problem and this problem. We're gonna give these people this money, but inevitably, because of the way international finance works, you end up losing most of that money, or it doesn't do what you need it to, or you don't have any control over the people giving out the money at the other end or you know something like that something bad happens so like it's like it's not that it's, it's better than nothing it's just it's so inefficient and it's so sad to see when we're trying to do our best with it um so basically i mean the last point i was making there with the common experience is basically just that without without a society where you can all sort of afford to do the same things and have the time to do the same things and are given the same kind of opportunities like uh, work-wise, recreationally, everything else, you can't really form an integrated society um, because they're going to have two different societies because I can afford to... And I am made to live like this and you can afford and I'm made to live like that. Um, So the thing is we need... And that's why, again, I keep hammering on this idea of focusing on the poverty problem as kind of a solution to the disaffection as well because you can kind of be a part of society. But then... If people are also still going to be super racist for whatever reason, then mm. uh, man, I mean, what can you do? Like, that's that's, that's I mean, the I point think, you can't challenge.
1: I think the stuff that's super racist is much more easy to deal with. It's it's the subconscious biases and yes. the um the long history mm. um that are the more difficult problems. Like if someone's sitting there and. KKK hood it's very easy to say <laughs> fuck that guy and everyone agrees <laughs> but yep. it's, yeah yep. it's the, but it's
2: the it's guy the
0: who's 50% things. less likely to call you back over a job
1: yeah yeah will <laughs> you not know, say you know, anything having, or whatever but yeah you know the one thing that i've i've seen a lot about is is, is hairstyles that are considered professional yeah. and it's like well any any natural hair is for um african americans is considered to be not professional and no one's thinking that or some people probably are, but people are more more thinking that subconsciously rather than consciously. Yeah. It's so difficult.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. No, it's, it's, it's all the little tiny things. Mm. And I think, and that's why I think if you had, you know, people there, if you had them involved with, because they had the money to do it, obviously, again, we're coming back to this issue. If Mm. they had the money to be involved with things all over the place from a young age, it would just, I think, be seen as different, rather than like a different culture. They're mm. just like a different member. It's like you know the ginger kid or whatever. You know, it, it's like, it's like it's not a big thing. It's just you maybe remark on it because ginger looks different because I got paler skin and freckles and stuff. But <laughs> it's like and no soul, but. <laughs> 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 hey, he's our fuck. but like, like it's it's just a it's just a difference. Whereas yeah, it's
1: not a yeah. Like
0: minority culture really is kind true. of seen as an entirely different culture, which is a totally different thing. And I think if they had the money to join in, you would grow up just thinking it's just a difference. And I think we're seeing more of that now. But obviously. You know it's it's such a it was such a massive disparity that it's taking ages and ages for it to close. And it um, needs
1: to be going faster. Like it is yes, getting better with every generation, do. but that's too it, it's not getting better fast enough.
0: so so the que- so okay, so I' go on this last part which was so how do we enable a path out of poverty for systemically disadvantaged minorities without angering the majority by making success just easier? Uh, because obviously, what we are always striving for is equality of opportunity. I'm talking about the U.S. specifically in this instance. Uh, so, um, it, the point I hate- I, the point I wanted to make with that is purely that, like, you can see the adverse effect it has on the rest of society if, um, effectively, you're given, you know, an easier route to do, you know, not just a normal life, but a, a really good right, a really good life. Sorry. Mm. Um, and the frustration that that causes in other people whereas there's got to be ways that you can do this that creates an equal opportunity an equal playing field without necessarily overtly just making things easier to get ahead Um, and it's sort of some nuance in it because the thing is obviously as we've seen that's pissed off a lot of people over many decades and look honestly with the, with what poverty means in america i can kind of understand why people are pissed off because poverty in america means your life is awful mm. um and so whereas poverty in europe means your life is not great <laughs> <But> <laughs> i don't honestly, know. i think
1: you probably i mean yeah i guess it's different levels it's definitely right. different level. Oh, no,
0: absolutely, absolutely yeah. different levels. But, yeah, like, the thing is, like, I think in the U.S., if you're, like, a dead, poor, you know, Appalachia, like, West Appalachia um, person with no prospects and opportunities and someone who's in exactly the si- same situation as you in the same town gets a leg up because they're a minority, I can understand the frustration. Like, I, I get that that's frustrating. So I yeah. feel like has got to be more nuanced solutions.
1: I reckon just... Fucking let them let us be angry, you know? <laughs> like yeah. yeah, it's not fair that like the way the system is. But this is, is now, this is what what I so mean. Like I feel like direction. If we're gonna equalize it a little bit and then the people who've been benefiting for generations are a little bit pissed off about it, let us get pissed off. Just ignore that.
0: Well, I think I that's don't the, care. I think that's the difference <laughs> like, though with you know? the people the people who are disadvantaged at like, you know, like the white ex mining towns in Appalachia have been like devastated for like 40 years mm, i think mm-hmm. i think the thing is i can't honestly hold it against them if they'd be pissed off because their kids of kids of kids of poor people haven't got an advantage i think it's it almost should just be linked to poverty i think i think those those leg up things should just be linked to being really poor um because obviously in general black people have endured far worse poverty because the rates and the rates are much higher um, but i think what you can do is probably make a nuanced solution that applies to both but still helps the same fundamental problem, Um, which is why I was getting into the thing with the UBI uh, Mm. because I think the UBI would potentially give all those poor people the same leg up, and effectively it's like you're sort of, what are you doing with your injection of cash rather than it being welfare with conditions? Where like you get welfare and then everyone's like, well, what are you doing with your, like, like, why are you getting welfare? You're lazy or whatever. And instead you've got the UBI that everyone's getting. Um, it sort of gives the advantage of those, that, that, that income without the conditional and societal, I don't know, taboo attached to it that you have with welfare,
3: mm.
0: especially in America. This is again, I, I'm tailoring this to the American experience because the American experience is quite unique um, mm. In the fact that poverty is such a debilitating thing. Yeah.
1: I think it's the healthcare issue that really makes the difference. That
0: is a major one. Yeah, absolutely. I think not being able to pay for like anything healthcare related,
2: especially considering like there's schemes in America to commit low level crime. So mm. if you need healthcare, you can go in for mm. three to six months and while you're in prison, you'll receive your it's <laughs> so messed receive up. Receive your treatment. So there's like, yeah, tactics to get the right sentence, so you, <laughs> you're it's not in there really for too long, but you get the you get <sighs> the treatment you need. Oh, uh, it's so messed up. And that's
0: the and that's the problem that like, poverty is making people nuts in America, and that because it's so desperate <laughs> the situation. Mm. Um, you know, you can't afford to save your own existence because there is no public, no robust public health care system. Um, so yeah, you have to do criminal things like that <laughs> to get healthcare. Um, yeah, no. And then, so the second one I had was, and I don't know if this has ever been talked about before It's just an idea I had, cause I'm just throwing some things out, <clears throat> which is basically if you develop the poor minority disadvantaged areas, uh, by buying the property up, but buying it up at like full price you know like full price for maybe uh, sorry not full price higher price than you would normally get mm-hmm. so then what you could basically go is you know you go to something like i don't know as a, as a stereotypical example you got like compton for instance right and you go through and you it would be extremely expensive but you'd buy out all the housing and give them above market value so they could buy somewhere else in los angeles mm-hmm. um or somewhere else in the state even, because Los Angeles is really expensive, you could go out to another another smaller town and get a really nice house. What you're kind of doing is just like cleaning out these areas so like you don't have this concentration of poverty. And instead you give them all this cash injection and say, go buy a house somewhere else. Then you also turn the house, the area sort of becomes less poverty stricken. So that it's going to be less crime, you know, crime related. And you get all these people thrown into all these different areas where they then integrate into new suburbs or new towns or something like that. Um, and sort of finally get rid of this like remnant of 1950s and 1960s segregation.
2: And also given yeah. like financial support and like an incentive to save money as well and not just go out and spend yeah. it all. And I mean, because... I
0: because part of the big issue is that they can't afford to buy anywhere else and so no one wants to buy their houses. So why don't you try and do like a big government a government program where you buy all the houses and mm-hmm. redevelop the but, area? But Daniel,
2: I've I can had you... to... Sorry, Carla, go. No, you go, Sean. I was going to say, but Daniel, I've worked hard for everything that I have <laughs> and I do not like giving out these free hand-me-outs for people that don't work as hard as I <laughs> <That's>... That, is, <laughs> the, that <laughs> is. That is not... That is not equality.
0: No. <laughs> no, and, that, and yeah, that's mixed... the line we have to toe, isn't it? We have to, like, try and be light but still solve the problem. Yeah.
1: I <clears throat> think it's, it's, it's having mixed housing, so having areas rather than, you know, this suburb is all shitty apartments and this place is all mansions, it's trying mm. to scatter high- and low-income housing mm. in, amongst each other um, to avoid these ghettoization ghettoization, yeah. is that a word?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, it is. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> why, that's, why it's, it's, that's
1: why it's yeah, de that's the word I'm looking for. I so, think yeah, try pretty... to mix things around and, you know, I, just making things a bit, reducing the gap between yeah. wealthy and poor.
2: Well,
0: the thing is, the, when, when you reduce, because uh, it's in one of the, sorry, Shane, you say your bit. I was going to
2: say, but then you'll end up with, like, the three-story house and then, like, the rich people go, yeah, just look at all the, look at all the plebs.
0: We are, we are the king of the plebs
1: here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think I was talking about this with the, with the book I was talking about. I don't remember which book it was, and I wish I did. But the thing is, it was about, um, I think it was the one where they were talking about uh, the effect of like towns on the upbringing of children. and And what it was essentially looking at was that the primary indicator that a child will have a successful and productive adult life is the affluence and um, education level of the um, parents in a neighborhood. So the average, though, not like, as not in, like if you had a whole bunch of people. Yeah, so even if the kid themselves was the child of parents that had very little money, very little influence, very little anything,
2: but they went to school with all the kids that were they would then become like all the other kids at school oh, okay so you're saying because like you know you become a product of your environment it's not yeah. just because we're all magical beacons and it's like smart people in the area means that you get more <laughs> positive smart energy it just becomes like, <laughs> it's the social interaction with the kids and therefore the means you're yeah. more likely to you know, but, but, but apparently
0: your own parents aren't really the key indicator even mm. though that is one of them is an influence apparently the big thing the most, oh. the biggest correlation was the average of all the other parents of the community you were in.
2: Oh, yeah, um, I can, I can definitely confirm that with
0: the, educated parents.
2: <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, I mean, the thing is that all the other parents—they're
0: going to be the ones that you see all the time. They're going to be the ones at the soccer club or the church or the whatever the hell it is, the school stuff, whatever it is. Like they're, they're going to be like participating and involved in all these little things all over the place. And then maybe they run the little shops or something as well. And the thing is, you have sort of this massive pile on effect. I can't remember. They they sort of explained it really well, but they said that's the primary indicator. So, like, I'm imagining in this instance that you have all these poor disadvantaged kids who are concentrated in an area with all the poor and disadvantaged parents. And then you throw them in all these other um, suburbs and neighborhoods and towns all over the country. And then they'd kind of just become part of like what maybe is more successful areas or more affluent areas.
2: I'm pretty Um, sure you should not throw children. You should throw children.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have a catapult just for that, Adam. (laughs) It's um, but yeah, and I, I
1: just, <laughs> <in> breaking
0: <laughs> breaking up these intense uh, concentrations <laughs> like that we've just got left over from segregation days that are just sort of perpetuating that. Like, I think they're developing, but they're making it so much slower than it needs to be. Um, than if you had something where you could sort of break it up and get people involved in different areas. Um, then. The third point I had, and that might be a terrible idea, maybe someone's talked about it before and figured out there's some massive gaping problem with it, but I wasn't sure what it would be. So, like, yeah. I'm, sure I'm open to someone correcting me. Um, but then the third one was institutional nationalization, which brings us back to all the other stuff we're talking about, which is basically, like, uh, healthcare affordability, university affordability, mm. housing discrimination, and eviction laws. So, like, obviously, we've gone through healthcare and university, like in America, both of those things are debilitatingly expensive unless you get scholarships Um, and they're really hard to get. So the thing is, yeah, it's a very, very uphill climb to be healthy on one hand and go to university. And it's almost like, well, the thing is a lot of maybe medical, medical technology is new, but like the thing is, You look at it in the instance that everyone around you is healthy and can afford all these things, but you're stuck being sick and poor and can't get anywhere. You're just going to be like, well, fuck society kind of thing. Mm. Um, I'm not going to have any part of this. And then the housing discrimination, which is apparently, and again, I, I didn't actually look. I should have gone and found some stats on this, but I have heard of it before that, like, obviously it's much harder to get a unit to rent. Okay. Um, or get mortgages and things if you're a minority in America because your seed is less reliable, and less desirable. Mm. Um, so they don't, you know, right. it's not as easy to get, you know, to, if you're applying for places to rent, it's just much harder. Yeah. Um, which obviously would be part of the rest of the stuff we've quoted, the, the subconscious bias. And then the eviction laws, which is apparently like in certain areas, especially the poorer areas, it's very, very quick with the evictions um, where you're behind on something, whereas in an affluent neighborhood, you get behind on something, they'll be like, oh, no, look, we'll figure something out in you know an area like Compton or something like that, as again, my example, you might just be thrown out immediately, right? Hmm. Like, you just know no choice, the you're assumption late for one day,
1: gonna...
0: yeah, you're thrown out in a week kind of thing. Like, that kind of thing puts people constantly on the edge of terror and homelessness, and you combine it with the medical bills and everything else and it's just like you're in this constant position of terror and fear and like the system is really making it like you can't slip up even slightly
1: really rigged
0: yeah it's yeah. basically you're playing on ultra mega hard mode and like <laughs> it just sounds like it's a it's shit um so in the last little i just i'll finish the parts i have and then we can just ramble um so the thing is in a country of free market sovereign values the greatest disadvantage obviously belongs to those with the least income and if the main pathways out of poverty have a hefty price tag associated and you're 50 percent less likely to get a job at the end in brackets see the survey we mentioned last time then you've got a lot of points in that journey where you're being incentivized to abandon the quest altogether Mm. Add that to your visually associated with increased criminality and alienated culture and a culture of firearms thrown in and you're much more likely to be wrongfully convicted or shot by law enforcement. So you basically got this journey that every human being is sort of expected to take through life. It's just that at every major juncture, you've got a much harder crossover Mm. and constantly, and, and there's this culture on the side of like people who have given up You know what I mean? Like they've said, fuck it, it's not worth it. And, and like, you're constantly being pulled over that way to say, fuck it, I'll just go join them, which is kind of like, which is kind of exactly, again, I brought up last week, which is kind of the problem that we have with the, the Irish and Italian immigrants that they had back in the, um, in like the 1800s and the early 1900s, probably more of the early 1900s, um, where the system itself was just paying like crap and a lot of people were poor. So then they had organized crime and organized crime paid well and actually gave them some respect and they actually got some position and status. And so everyone's like, well, fuck it, this main this this game I'm meant to be playing that's legitimate and legal and stuff is really bad. Like, it's really unfair. So I'm going to go and play in the organized crime game because that seems to be a lot more, you know, they're having fun, they're having parties, they seem to all this money. It's like, why wouldn't I just go in there and say, fuck society kind
1: of thing. Especially when society is spending a lot of time saying, fuck you. Exactly. You know, you it's know. not, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. And it reminds this is only tangentially related, but I'm reminded of a story I heard probably on a podcast, um, (laughs) about this um I can't remember if he ended up getting shot by the cops, but it was this group of I think black teenagers um Mm. who got stopped by the cops and, and they kind of mouthed off at them and it all blew up and they got arrested for you know, being a dick to the police. And you sit in there thinking, well, hang on, why were they such a dick to the police? And then you find out, oh, well, that was the third time that day that they'd been stopped and searched for absolutely no reason. Like, yeah, okay, right. I'll be pissed off by then too, you know. <laughs> like,
3: mm-hmm. Oh,
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so what I've, I've got here is um, the 2006 State of Reconciliation Act which was developed as a holistic concept um, for what it takes for a country to become reconciled. And so what what it is here is I'm drawing on policy research, evidence of reconciliation process from other countries as well as um, our own experiences here in Australia. A framework for achieving our vision of a just, equitable and reconciled nation was developed resulting in five dimensions of reconciliation as the framework and yardstick by which we measure our success. And those five dimensions are, and I'll just quickly say that I got this from um, thereconciliation.org.au, and it's um, from Glenn Kelly's keynote speech of 2009. Mm -hmm. Um, So the five dimensions are, number one being race relations, where positive two-way relationships built on trust and respect exist between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders and non-Indigenous Australians. So this is obviously using Australia as a specific example. Um, Equality and equity, where Indigenous Australians participate equally in life opportunities... And our own rights are reconciled, oh, and yeah, and our, and our own unique rights are reconciled and upheld, where our voice is heard, and mm. I'm obviously speaking on behalf of their voice there. Institutional integrity, where our politics, where our political, business, and community institutions actively support all dimensions of reconciliation, unity. Where Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures, histories, rights are valued as part of our own our own shared national identity. And historical sorry. And historical acceptance. Sorry, my page just went and scrolled all the way down. <laughs> Where all Australians understand and accept our nation's full history and agree that wrongs of the past will never be repeated.
1: Mm.
2: Truth-telling project. Yeah, so together those five dimensions are the basis of reconciliation, discussions and actions and for measuring progress. Mm.
1: reconciliation.org.au.
2: Mm. Yes, that's oh. the one. I've just put it up now. And um, yeah, because another thing that I really liked um, from that speech, and I'm probably going to do an episode on it, hopefully next week, with everyone's blessing, mm. which yeah, is just which is just a lot more on um, yeah reconciliation in Australia. I was gonna do, I was gonna do a bit more of it this episode, but it seriously think, deserves its own one all on its own. Yeah, because, and we're kind of
1: coming up on an hour too, so yeah. I we make yeah. that its own. What was the the name of the the speech, the guy doing the speech? Uh,
2: Glenn Kelly is the, the speech Kelly. patron. It's ah, the 2009 keynote, spe- keynote
1: speech. Ah, I'll make sure I watch, watch it before next week.
0: It's interesting yeah. as I know that, that, that I was doing some research on the Treaty of Waitangi, um, which is the, the declaration that New Zealand signed between the Maoris and the British ah, um, yeah. to basically say we won't fight each other anymore, we're going to come to a governance agreement um, to what? make New Zealand a country. Um, one of the interesting things, though, is that the Maori document, uh, or Mori, uh, I keep saying Maori because that's what it's written, but I was told by a Maori girl that apparently it's Mori. Mori. Yeah, M-O-A-R-I. So I don't know how that got switched up. But um, basically, um, they their document was written in Mori, and the English document was written in English, but the words meant slightly different things. So this mm, was the
1: problem.
0: like, it's obviously, yeah. not directly translatable. Obviously, so they did their best, but apparently, even now, it still causes problems because the Maori document says something very slightly different to what the British document says. Of course, because uh, like
1: you can never have a lot British of one. British one
0: is a little more because it has more evolved language for what I'd call political science, whereas they had to use slightly more generalist words or other words in the Maori document. Because obviously mm. they wrote the British one first and then they yeah,
1: had to turn course. it into, into Maori.
0: <laughs> So the thing is, there's always sections with like rights and sovereignty and stuff, and they sort of have words for those in, in Maori, no. but it, the Maori one sort of says, you're allowed to be all these things, but the British one says, actually, no, you're not allowed to do these things sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But because the words mean different things, it didn't translate. And so that's, that's, I mean, how much of a problem is that when the languages say two completely different things? (laughs) It's just, oh man, apparently it's still causing massive issues. It'd be fun to actually talk about that as like a classic example of sort of the problems of communication with like, you know, massive constitutional agreements. Because obviously we're going to probably run into similar issues with what we're trying to do, Mm. where... Like, something that I say might sound slightly different to how it sounds in the other language, and it might sound better or worse. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. It's an interesting point, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's my ramble
2: done. Yeah! <laughs>
1: yeah
2: well, <laughs> well, my ramble turns into another episode, so I'll just save my rambling for then. Oh, uh, yeah, you're just getting gonna...
1: more and I think I've done plenty of rambling (laughs) in between yours, so um, I'm... It was perfect. Uh, I think that's the episode.
0: Very good job, everyone. Um, In that case, I will let you all go free. Um, I have been Daniel.
1: I've been Carla.
2: I am still meditating Shannon. Still meditating Um, Shannon. um. Um.
3: (laughs) Oh.